Hey everybody, my name is Zach. I am the next-gen pastor here, uh, here at Linwood. I am so honored and thankful. I take with reverence and care in preparing today's message. And so I'm honored for the opportunity that I get to share the Word of God with you. A couple of housekeeping items. Uh, for those that are brand new to our congregation or just need some information, uh, Pastor Mark, our lead pastor, launched this series called Life First a couple weeks ago. And as he launched it, he himself has taken a sabbatical. And we embrace that and we celebrate the sabbatical as, he's time to, as we give him time to pray and to come ready, restored, ready to go. In fact, we've actually called our congregation to pray alongside with him. This may be news information to you, and if not, cool. I want you to just still tune in with me. This is our prayer guide. You can find this in, in our lobby. You can find this on our Friday updates. You can find this on our webpage. But we're really encouraging our family of families to be praying alongside Pastor Mark and his sabbatical because when he comes back and he's ready to go, we ourselves have gone through this journey and we are ready to go. We get to participate in this sabbatical together. As I mentioned before, he launched into a series called Life Verses. And the cool thing about this series is that we get to hear from a different, a wide variety of voices within and outside of our congregation. Do you want to hear my life verse? Well, you really didn't have an option. I was going to tell you anyway. I'm just here just trying to have fun. Here's my life verse. It comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 on. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Well, those are great. That's my life verse. There it is. Staple that to the heart. Let's call it a day. Let's wrap up our service. Let's bring the worship band back up. That's not good, people. I haven't really even started this. If only it was that simple. See, the thing here about Linwood is that we believe that the word holds weight. We believe the context that are in this book is 100% truth. Amen? We believe that as a family of family, that we want to center ourselves on the word of God. Amen? And because of that, verses like this pulsate through my veins. This is a passage that truly is a life verse for me. The second half of that is to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, to share with the Lord's people who are in need, to practice hospitality. We're going to break this down piece by piece today. But before we break this down, I've got to give some words of caution. Caution number one. Life verses and anthems are great. But if we're not careful, if we just simply memorize the words and there's no application to it, there's no action item to that, they're just words. Life verses have to do something more than just memorizing. Which leads me to my second point. Life verses and anthems can be dangerous territories if we misconstruct what the word is trying to say. Sometimes 
We exemplify our anthems and we translate the words to mean something that means more to us than the original context of the scripture. That is dangerous. Know the context of the verse before making it a life verse and anthem. Sometimes we just simply like to buy that Hobby Lobby sign and we throw it on our kitchen wall and says, There it is! There's our house verse and it's beautiful and lovely. And yes, we have one of those verses, too, on our kitchen wall. And to clarify, my wife bought it. I did not. She's in the nursery, so she's screaming right now. Context is key. And so if I'm going to hold the word to reverence today, I want to make sure we understand context. And to understand that, I would encourage our family of families and those online to open up the word to Romans chapter 12. This is where we will stay for the remainder of the service today. So if you've got a Bible or you've got a Bible app, turn to that online. You're not excluded from that. I want you to turn and open the word. I want you to follow along with me as you turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 on. And as you're turning to that, and that's in the New Testament, later half of the Bible... As you're turning to Romans 12, there's 11 chapters that precede this. Paul, who we knew as Saul in the book of Acts, had a transformation on the road to Damascus. He was an individual that was persecuting Christians and became a champion for Christianity. He became a leader for Christianity. He's now writing a letter to the book, to, to, to the church of Rome. To the church of Rome. And in this, he's teaching This letter is really kind of teaching good theology because theology matters. Theology matters. Here are the things he's talking about. He's teaching about the sinfulness of humanity, the forgiveness of sin through Christ, Israel's past, present, and future. But there's something in the literature. There's something in his posture There's something in his language that is a strategic shift between chapters 11 and chapters 12. He's no longer teaching. He's moved to applying. He's no longer teaching. He's applying something. We should fight for good theology. But if we're not applying that theology, what good is theology? We have to be pursuing theology and reverence of its word and in its action. Because in Romans 12, it begins with being a living sacrifice. A tall order for anyone who wants to follow in the way of Jesus. Are you with me? I've given you some time to find Romans 12. We're going to start at verse 9. We're going to take this by passage by passage, phrase by phrase. You keep your Bible open because we'll be there. We'll we'll refer back to that throughout the entire service. Here we go. Starting in verse 9. Love. Stop. We've gone too far. And for those that are scared that I'm going to take this word by word, hold on, hold tightly. But there's a question that has to be asked. What is love? Now, if your head decided to do this, after saying that statement, that's not the type of love I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about in that pop culture reference, you're probably a better Christian for not knowing. 
But I have a personal conviction. This isn't a corporate conviction. This is a personal conviction. I feel like the word love has lost its weight. It's misused, overused, used improperly. Let me give you a hypothetical example. I love Chick-fil-A. Amen. I'm talking about that original chicken sandwich with the pickles. And not just like one or two pickles. Give me the extra pickles. And I'm not talking about just the chicken sandwich because you cannot. It is not possible to just get the sandwich. You have to get the waffle fries. Nobody wants the small waffle fries. Medium's excusable, but really you go for the large. Okay? And then you can't go without a drink, so some would go with a milkshake. My personal preference is that hand-squeezed lemonade. And for those that are like, wow, that sounds delicious. I'm so sorry, they're closed on Sundays. I apologize for putting those thoughts in your mind and forgive me of my sins. I also love my wife. My wife, Amanda, I love her personality. I love her posture for Jesus. I also love my kids when they're good. I mean, yes, of course, I love my kids unconditionally. I also value my sleep. Just go to bed. I don't understand the concept here. You're hitting some personal aggression here. I also love my Lord and Savior. I love that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and me. But that's where my frustration kicks in. Is that the word love I used for Chick-fil-A also referred to the love that I have for my Lord and Savior. It was never meant to be simplified to a four-letter word. In fact, the Hebrew and Greek context, there's over 200 words that are used, that the English commentators and translators all combine those words into four letters, L-O-V-E. In a way, it's kind of a disservice to the true, authentic words. Now, I don't have time to dive into all the Greek and Hebrew words. There's four primary Greek words, but there's over 200, I said. Phila, eros, storage, agape. Today's focus, we're going to be focusing on agape love. Well, why do we focus on agape love? Because in Romans 12, verse 9, the love that's used here in the Greek is agape love. Agape love is this. It's a type of love that God displays for us. As the student ministry pastor... I have the opportunity to teach our students how to worship. And worship is so much more than just singing Christian songs up here. Worship, my definition of worship, is a response to God's love for us. God's perfect, graceful love that's been given to us. C.S. Lewis wrote that agape love is all giving and not getting. A love that is so genuine and so pure. Well, now that we've understood what the word love is, I think we can proceed on. Let's keep going. I'm still in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Pause. 
What does that even mean now? If we understand agape love, what does it mean to be sincere in love? And this is where things are going to get kind of interesting for our church. Because we're going to do something that, from my knowledge, we've never done before. And it's going to be kind of interesting. Because as a student ministry pastor, we practice this on our Wednesday nights. They would know this is something that we do every Wednesday night. But we've not practiced this on a Sunday morning. I intentionally pause the service, and I call it our LSM fast break, our Linwood Student Ministry fast break. I give our students, our congregation, our audience an opportunity to pause and to answer a question. Guess what we're going to do? So I'm going to put a countdown clock on the screen. For my people in the audience, I want you to answer this question with a neighbor around you. What does it mean that love must be sincere? Turn to a neighbor. You're going to answer that question. If you don't like the family members you're sitting next to, you can find a new group to talk to for 90 seconds. If you're my online audience, Pastor Ryan is watching live alongside with you. You're not excused from this. In fact, I would encourage you to respond and answer the question on Facebook or on YouTube to, to write it out alongside with us. And if you're listening this, to this at a later date, don't skip over this. Take a moment and pause and a- answer the question. What does it mean that love must be sincere. When the countdown plays, you're going to hear some soft music in the background because nobody likes to hear a DMV, a soundtrack of nothingness. And we're just going to answer the question together. Are we ready, congregation? Because your 90 seconds begins right now. congregation. I've played the dangerous game and now I've got to rally you back in. For some, I saw some excitement to my extroverts out there that was like, oh, I get to talk. I get to stretch a little bit. And then there were some expressions of like, what is this guy doing? Bring comfort. I'm not the lead pastor, so I received that well. (laughs) But here are the words that I heard. Because our sincerity has to be genuine. Just from the whispers I can hear and the whispers I heard from our previous service, I heard words like authentic. 
driven with a purpose. That our love being sincere has to have weight to it. If you want to find things that are unauthentic love, give me an opportunity and I will show you the world of social media. I have a hunch. Do you know my, my biased opinion why people leave the Christian faith? I think it's because of unauthentic love. That we just fail to show love in a sincere way. As I was preparing for this message, I came across a commentary. And I thought about chopping it up, rewording it, putting my own ideas and thoughts, but I felt like I was doing injustice to the the original context that they were saying. So I want to give you an opportunity. I want to read what, what a commentary wrote about this specific passage. I, you don't need to copy anything down. I, I would encourage you to find the gold nuggets in these statements and maybe if some, a sentence stands out to write it down. I've also put it on the screen. Here it is. Most of us have learned how to be courteous to others. How to speak kindly, avoid hurting their feelings, and appear to take interest in them. We may even be skilled in pretending to show when we learn of injustice. But God calls us to be real and genuine love that goes far beyond being hypocritical and polite. Genuine love requires concentration and effort. It means helping others become better people. It demands their time, money, and personal involvement. No individual has the capacity to express love to a whole community. This is what catches me. But the body of of Christ in your town does. People can smell fakeness. If love must be sincere, people can smell fakeness. So if we're going to translate any of this in this conversation today, it's this statement right here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Because when the author Paul writes this in Romans 12, this is a statement. This is the subject line. And everything that follows is a directive of that statement. Statement being, love must be sincere. Because follow along quick me. Because I'm about ready to start preaching. We keep going. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. To cling to what is good. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17, it speaks of Jesus being full of truth and full of grace. We believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. We also believe we're just humans. And we fall short of the glory of God. And it's only through the redemptive of the cross that we are saved and redeemed. And because of the original sin, we naturally bend towards sin. So I'm led to believe with all of those statements before us, that when it says in the passage in the book of John that he's full of truth and full of grace, we tend to lean one way or another. That when we face a term of conflict, we either lean on the truth side or we lean on the grace side. That for someone that has to get their argument through, I'm going to tell you what the word says. This is the truth, which it is. 
But we lack the grace because love must be sincere. But for those that are on the grace side, we want to show that compassion and that love and that care that I hear you. You're my friend. You're my neighbor. And I love you. And we lack to share the truth. So before we step any further, put yourself in this example. Where do you naturally lean? And in a, in a conflict moment, do you lean a little bit more on truth? Because if you lean on truth, I'm going to encourage you in this next few moments to lean a little bit more on grace. And for those that lean on grace, in these next few passages, I want you to lean a little bit more on truth. Because in here, Scripture is clear. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Order matters. And because love must be sincere, what follows this is a directive to say to know what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. God desires us to be whole with goodness. God desires us to know his word. Catch this. We cannot be representative of his words if we are not in the word. We simply cannot be representatives of the word if we are not in the word. We cannot decipher what is good and evil if we're not actually living the truth, but also living the grace of love being sincere. Are you catching why this is pulsating verse in my, my veins? Can you catch a little bit of that fire? Because we keep going. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Being devoted to one another in truth and in grace. And why this hits my core as a church congregation, family of families, because we believe one of our specialties is embracing every single person that walks through the store with love and care. Never lose that gift. Never stop teaching people how to love well. Never stop giving people opportunities to apply that love. Many churches do that well, and we do it really well. Never lose that, because this is a core value of ours. If you've been paying attention just a little bit, you may have heard me say two of the three core values that we have at Linwood. I'll share them with you real fast. Uh, Centering ourselves on the word, caring for each other, and leaving a legacy of faith. It's that second core value that I'm hitting right now is that caring for each other. That is a core value that we hold dear to our hearts as a church congregation because it matches our mission statement to reach people for Christ, to have a hunger for that. To reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith. God's way involves love. We're honored because we're all been created in God's image. We, us, they, I, are all a part of the kingdom of God. But God's love does not stop or conclude there. Paul keeps writing, never be lacking in zeal, but keeping your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We have to keep faith boiling hot. In fact, this is where things get a little dicey for me. Because let's be real, there's no such thing as retiring from the Great Commission outside of death itself. We are called 
as Christ-following believers, we are called and commissioned into keeping our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. We don't stop. We keep that zeal for the kingdom of God until death do its part. There is no retiring from the Great Commission. Let me give you a real-world example. (laughs) Two or three decades ago, the average American would have in their home a TV with this device on top of it called TV antennas. And for my Generation Z in the room or online, let me tell you about these horror stories, okay? There are these, like, metal prongs that never worked, And you have to keep moving them to get the right signal to kick in. And then you would have to hold it so that the rest of the family could watch the TV. I keep the pain inside of me. Now fast forward to the day. Those devices are defunct, non-existent. Yes, I know there's those HD antennas that are flat and they go on your windows or on the wall. But I'm talking about those rabbit ears. TV companies had to make a decision. This is working. We've had two to three decades worth of information saying that people want this. But technology is evolving. Technology is changing. Do we just stick with the staple of continuing selling TV antennas? Or do we change our method to reach our same goal? For the TV companies that chose to stick to the uh, antennas are now gone. And the companies that pivoted their same goal in mind, and said, no, we're changing the way that we reach our customers. So it is with the kingdom of Christ. When we choose to stop pursuing zeal for the kingdom, we choose to stop pursuing Christ's love to his people. Never be lacking in that zeal. Keeping that spiritual fervor serving the Lord. To have that Passion to reach people for Christ. To be joyful in hope. Notice that these directives, by the way, is not just simply uh, be joyful in hope with our family and friends and the people that we get along with. Paul's actually starting to write to the people who are against us. Because in the next passage, he says patient in affliction, that we need to be patient in trials and in pains and in hurt. That being a Christ follower is not the easy road. But being a follower of Christ is what is being called. And there will be patience in those afflictions and trials and pains. To be faithful in prayer. We're calling on our church family to be praying. And not just be praying on a Sunday morning or when we pray as a congregation, but be praying throughout the whole week. It's more than just a simple act of motion. It's a posture that we have. And to share with God's people who are in need. To practice hospitality. Linwood Wesleyan Church, we are not a museum. We are a hospital for the sick. We're the hospital for the broken. We're a hospital for the imperfect. If you're looking for a perfect family, hate to be the bearer of bad news. This isn't it. But if you yourself are are looking for a place 
to be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. I'm glad you're here. So what do we do with this information? Why Romans 12, 9 and on are my life verse? It's because these are things when love must be sincere, it must pulsate all of these directives. There is a call to action, a living sacrifice that Paul is saying here. My question to you, what is that Holy Spirit speaking to you? What are you going to do today to show Christ's love? What are you going to do this week to show genuine love? What are you going to do in this season to show agape love? Agape, at its core, has already been demonstrated to us. So I leave you with this question. Here it is. God has shown us love. How do you choose to replicate uh, it, it at all? How do you choose to share God's love with his people? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we're asking you to reciprocate this love for us. And as we reciprocate that, we translate that to your people and your ways and your will. Remind us of the opportunities. Remind us of agape love. And when we find those opportunities, may we not just find that Holy Spirit nudge, but may we move with that. May we move with the call to action. Because love must be sincere. And we know your word. We love you, Lord. It's in your name. We all said, Amen.